Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Without further ado, we are truly blessed this morning uh, with a special guest speaker. Clem Ferris is all the way from Durham, North Carolina. He didn't come here just for us. He's been in town this week. He was actually in the UK with my dad just a week ago, and then he was serving this weekend at a prophetic conference that we had a number of our people attending this weekend, which was a great time. He is a very close friend of my parents. He's also a close associate with our network, Lifelinks International. He's an influential prophet, teacher, and theologian, and so we are truly blessed to have him with us this morning. So would you join me in giving a very warm Church Rock Calgary welcome to Clem Ferris this morning. Thanks, buddy. Great to have Casey and the Sunshine Band here this morning, his brothers, etc. Hey, it's good to be here. And uh, yeah, longtime Life Linker. Used to be actually part of the Life Links, Life Links Networks when I was pastoring down in Florida. And uh, I spoke at camp, I think, six or some years ago. I'm so glad they were kind to me as a guest speaker. I watched the way they treat Paul Reed and these other guys. It's like, I'm not coming back. You can go, but I'm not coming back. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, so we had a great weekend uh, doing prophetic development with lots of Life Links Church. Anybody else from another Life Links Church here this morning visiting? few others, yeah, just kind of snuck in and said, well, we'll get one more dose. So we had a really good time. We had about 80 people there and uh, representation from all over Saskatchewan and Alberta, so it was great. Good time. Yeah, last weekend we were in Edmonton, and then, yeah, the week before I was in England with your dad. So, yeah, great. These are great days. God's doing a lot of great things. We're glad you're here. It's so cold here. So I come north occasionally in the winter to remind myself why I live in North Carolina. And now I know why. No, I grew up in snow and cold, but it is just really cold here. I, I commend you for coming out Sunday morning. So this morning, let's go into a message, um, something you've probably heard this term before. And we use it all the time, but I want to kind of dig into this phrase because it's very much a part of our daily living. And the question is, what does it mean when we hear the phrase, to be led by the Spirit? What does that mean, to be led by the Spirit? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at a few verses here and just kind of get into some scripture about how to understand what it really means when the Bible tells us that we need to be led by the Spirit. Paul's writing to the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How many have desires of the flesh? That's why you wore a coat this morning and drank a cup of coffee. Those are two clear desires of the flesh. I want to be warm, and I want to have caffeine. Okay, so we all have desires of the flesh. Four... Now he says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Wow. Do you know that cup of coffee is actually against the spirit? I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's kind of like our desires are there, but the warning comes, they're against the spirit and the desires of the spirit. We have desires of the spirit. Thankfully, that's why you're in church on Sunday morning when it's below zero. You're in church because you have desires of the spirit, the things that the spirit wants to desire for you. But the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. And frankly, this is how we live. We live in daily struggles, daily little battles, daily little opposition of the spirit and the flesh. What is the flesh? Well, I mean, I think one of my favorite definitions is the flesh is basically our unaided human nature. We all have a human nature, and without its help, 
That's your flesh. All the selfishness, all the goofy decisions, all the, all the words that come flying out of your mouth that you wish you could take back. That is our flesh acting out without help. We need help. We need the Holy Spirit to come to our aid because it says these are actually opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, and there's that phrase. It's kind of like, this is, I got good news. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. That's the war. That's the opposition. But here's how we break through the opposition. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And you think, like, where did the law get in there? Well, the, the law is what the flesh strives to obey without the aid of the Holy Spirit. See, we're put under the law. God created this incredible law that no one can fulfill without Christ. And the flesh, it just, you know, it strives to obey, but it can't. And there's something about the law that actually draws the flesh into a place of, I can't do this. I had a friend that had a seven-year-old, and he was having a birthday party. In a moment of insanity, he decided to invite five more seven-year-olds over. So you have six seven-year-old boys over for a Saturday afternoon birthday party. I don't know what he was thinking. So he thought, I'm going to take advantage of this little gathering. Because, you know, when you get boys together, you know, you have one boy, you have one brain. You have two boys, you have half a brain. When you get three boys or more, you have no brains at all. So here's these little group of boys. So he gives me a gun. Now, boys, he goes, uh, I'm going to go cook some hot dogs, then we're going to have cake and ice cream and play some games. We're going to have fun today, but while I'm getting food ready, you guys go out and play. Just go out in the yard and play. I only have one thing that I want you to obey. See that flower bed over there? That's my wife's new flower bed, and I don't want any of you going over there and spitting in my wife's new flower bed, okay? And they're all going, yes, sir, okay. He goes, all right, boys, go have fun. I'll, I'll call you when the hot dogs are ready. He goes to the house, and he goes, I got to watch this. And sure enough, he goes over to the window and he just pulls the curtain back and he just sits there for a minute and starts watching. And sure enough, one by one, those boys had to go over to that flower bed, look around and, and go back and play, right? They all had to do it. Why? What made them do that? The law. The law empowered the flesh to do what it didn't want to do. They had no desire to spit in that flower bed until the law said, don't do it. Amen? So, that's us. But if you're led by the Spirit, you see, you're not under that law that says you can't, and then you say, but I want to. <laughs> so turn to John chapter 16. Here's where the Holy Spirit really helps us. John chapter 16. Jesus is getting ready to leave. He gathers his disciples together. This amazing discourse, John 14, 15, 16, is an amazing download that only John records the depth of this about the Holy Spirit, about Jesus' departure, him getting the disciples ready to take on, okay, their role after he leaves. And he says, I'm not going to leave you helpless. I'm going to send the helper. Now watch how he describes the job description of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Amazing. This is the job of the Holy Spirit in our lives. First of all, he says he will guide you into all the truth. He's our guide. We don't go through this earthly life helpless. 
we have a guide. It's a beautiful word in the Greek language. It's hodagos. It's a compound word made of the word odas, which means road, simply a road, odas. In your car, you have an odometer, right? It measures the road. So we have odas, and then we have the Greek verb agos. And ago really, it just simply means to lead. So when you put them together, it means to lead down the road, very simply, or to lead down some kind of a path. But when it's the Holy Spirit, he leads you in such a clear path. It's a truthful way. It's an unobstructed way because he knows the truth because he only says what the Father says to him. See, he's in contact with the Father directly. That's how we are in contact with the Father directly. And if we allow the Holy Spirit to be our guide, he will always lead us down a clear path. This word was actually used in secular Greek to describe a a tour guide, someone that took you on a tour. You know, there's a difference between a tour guide and a travel agent, right? You can want to go on a trip and call a travel agent, and they can book your tickets, they can send you brochures, they can, they can book your hotels, they can do all the work to get you there, having never been there themselves. May not be able to even tell you what the weather's like or all, all their best tips. They have no tips. But a tour guide, a good tour guide is someone that knows the route so well that he'll tell you all the shortcuts, he'll tell you the best places to eat, tell you when the crowd's the worst or when it's the best and he'll give you all the little why because he's so familiar with the path he's so familiar and that's the holy spirit he's our tour guide do you know why he knows the future do you know the holy spirit's already been to the future because he wrote it (laughs) he already wrote the end of the book the script so we can trust him okay we can trust him he's a professional with the future i love it in uh The Greek language, it actually says, he will guide you into the truthful ways. Not always easy on our flesh, but that's his job, to guide us. Now, I'm going to just throw in a little phrase that I used to use even when I was pastoring. I heard it before. I used it almost like a cliche, but it kind of meant something. But I began to look at the scripture and realize, "Uh uh-oh, the Bible doesn't give this advice. This was, I thought, good pastoral advice, sometimes parental advice. But here's the phrase, and maybe you've used it. We're not going to make you raise your hand and confess your sin this morning. But anyway, I'll confess. I use this phrase over and over, and here's the phrase. The phrase, that when it comes to guidance, when it comes to knowing the future, when it comes to making important decisions, all you need to do is follow your heart. Say, "Uh uh-oh. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh, because you've heard it. Baby, you've said it. You've almost believed it. I did. And then I began to go, "Uh uh-oh, because the Holy Spirit was kind of saying, that's not what I do. That's not how I lead. Do you know why? The heart was never designed to lead you. The heart is a follower, not a leader. The heart is a wanter. It has desires, the desires of the heart. The heart is a treasurer. You treasure things in your heart. It wants things. It's not a good leader. It was designed to be led. You see, we have certain scriptures like, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and always acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. We have other scriptures where Paul prayed for believers in Thessalonica. He prayed for the Thessalonian church. May the Lord direct your hearts. See, the heart's supposed to be directed by the Lord. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. That's a great prayer, praying for somebody. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God. Here's one that's very interesting. I don't have it on the slide, but in Proverbs chapter 6, if you want to turn there or just listen, but Proverbs 6, verse 20, 
through 22 is very important when it comes to guidance, when it comes to the Holy Spirit trying to guide us. It shows how the correlation between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are a powerful team in bringing guidance in your life to lead you. Watch how this is uh, pictured for us out of Proverbs. Proverbs 6, verse 20, it says, My son, keep your father's commandments. Don't forsake the, your mother's teaching. Watch, verse 21, bind them on your heart always. Bind them on your heart always. And tie them around your neck and so that when you walk, they will lead you. Not your heart, what? The heart that is bound with the word of God, the commandments of God, the instructions of God. Tie them around your heart. Bind them around your heart. Tie them. Then they will lead you when you walk. When you lie down, they'll even watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. Isn't that awesome? What an awesome picture. That's kind of amazing. I just got the anointing just hit me. Thank you. This is refreshing, just in case. And we have one installed over every one of your seats. So if you start falling asleep, I have a button up here, and I just go, hit them. Um, quickly, John, uh, John chapter 11. You know the story of Lazarus. And Jesus raising him from the dead. But I just want to take a, a peek into the beginning of this story and how it sets up, okay, this whole idea of being led by the Spirit. Because Jesus is our greatest example of being led by the Spirit. So in John chapter 11, real quick in the beginning it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village, uh, from the village of Mary and Martha. So Lazarus was ill. In the Greek it's not that softer word. It's a very, it's a very harsh word as far as physical health. It wasn't like he had a tummy ache or he had a headache. This word was used to depict someone that was on the verge of death. Lazarus was very ill to the point he was about to die, okay? And so, going to verse 3, it says, His sisters sent to Jesus because of this and said, Lord, he whom you love is very ill. He's about to die. But when Jesus heard this, he said, Hey, this illness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God can be glorified. Now, that's not very pastoral to me. Can you come, Pastor Jesus? You're, the one you love is about to die. Can you come? Ah, this isn't even unto death. This is for the glory of God. It's like, don't spiritualize this. This is about to die. He's your good friend. Don't you love him? You see, suddenly, emotions are stirred over this. And you can say, well, that's not very kind. Jesus, can't you find it in your heart to come? And see, they're pulling on his heart. You see, Jesus doesn't follow his heart. Jesus follows his spirit. He follows the Father. And you might think, well, that's a little cold. So John clarifies for us in verse 5. He says, well, just in case you're wondering, where's Jesus' heart in all this? He tells us in verse 5. Now, he says, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, why did he put that in there? Because we, at first glance, we think that was very unloving of Jesus to respond that way. Ah, this isn't unto death. Don't get so excited. What's the big deal? The one you love, they said, is about to die. Now, they use, there's four different Greek words for love, and this is the word phileo. Phileo love is a brotherly, familial love of the family. It's this emotional love that we all have. It's a love, really, that comes out of our emotions. And so they're pulling on Jesus' emotions. Can't you find it in your heart to come? Ah, not now. <laughs> and then John says, wait, in case you're wondering, where's Jesus in all this? Where's his heart John says, now, Jesus did love Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but he used a different Greek word. He used the word agape, which you know is the superior love. It is the God kind of love. It's a love that supersedes emotion. 
See, that's what holds a marriage together is agape love, not phileo love, because that goes like this, <laughs> right? Depending on who's, you know, depending on if you put your laundry away that day, right? Or if you took the garbage out. I mean, it can go like this. But agape love is the God kind of love that never waxes or wanes. It's not based on emotion. See, Jesus, John wanted to clarify, oh, he loved them all right, but he loved them with the God kind of love. The love of God, see, the agape of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. See, it's not a love that's already in the heart. It is given to us in the heart by the Holy Spirit. He clarified that. So, verse 6, it says, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he just stayed two days longer. Why? He was being led by the Spirit. He wasn't being led by his emotions. i got to get to the hospital. i got to go see Lazarus. My friend, my brother, he's about to die. I'm good. I'm good. How can you be so calm? He's being led by the Spirit. Stay two days longer. Then after this, he said to the disciples, okay, now it's time to go to Judea. Let us go to Judea. Now they're reacting emotionally. They go, why are you kidding me? Rabbi, they tried to kill you. The Jews were seeking to stone you. You can't go there again now, can you? And he goes, yep. Why? Because the Spirit's telling me to go. It's not based on emotion or the threat of death. It's because the Holy Spirit's telling me to go. And then he tries to explain it, but I'll just do it real quickly. He just tries to explain. He goes, look, guys, are there not 12 hours in the day if anyone walks in the daylight, he doesn't stumble. He's talking about being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, not stumbling, going in a clear path. He, don't, he won't stumble because he sees the light of this world, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles. You walk without the Spirit, you're going to stumble because the light's not in him. So he gives this little lesson, and we have to, it reminds us, you know, that Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, The Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. You have a spirit. When your spirit is joined with the Holy Spirit and you're born again, it becomes a 24-7 light. How many of you have a cell phone on you? We're not going to confiscate it, promise you. Okay, you've got a little device, a little rectangle of plastic and metal in your pocket. How many have a flashlight function? Now, isn't that incredible? Could you imagine 20 years ago someone going, you know, I just know the day's going to come that everybody on the planet will carry a flashlight. And you're going, you're, you idiot. Nobody's going to carry a flashlight with them. Everybody will have a light with them. In case there's sudden darkness, they will have instant light. And you're going, you bozo. It's never going to happen. Yeah? Really? Everybody in this room has a flashlight. To me, it's kind of like God, a sign of the times, like saying, everybody has light. If you have the Holy Spirit, we all have light. You won't stumble. But you've got to flick it on, right? you got to take it out and flick on the Holy... you got to turn on the Holy Ghost. you got to say, Holy Spirit, lighten my path. I'm not sure where to go. So guidance from the Holy Spirit doesn't come externally like a flashlight. It comes internally. And Romans 8.14 says it this way, For all who are led by the Spirit... There's that phrase. For all who are led by the Spirit are truly the sons and daughters of God, the mature huias, the sons and daughters of God. Part of our maturing process is to learn how to be led. And it's a process. It's a process of learning how to be led. So let's look at this word, ago, this verb, to lead, and understand this leading process and how the Holy Spirit leads us. This verb, ago, was actually an agricultural term that they used in agriculture in biblical days. And it was a picture of a farmer taking a rope and wrapping it around the neck of an animal and then tugging on that animal's neck and leading that animal to wherever he wanted to take it. When I go to some third world countries, uh, what comes to mind is India. I was recently at the Lifelinks Conference speaking there in India in November. And it's very common to see in the villages early in the morning a little, 
a little grandma, a little Indian woman with a rope around the neck of a big cow and leading it out of the village into a pasture where there's some grass so that cow can munch and have breakfast and eat and then go back and produce milk for the family. So you see these little old women, little grandmas, leading these big 2,000-pound you know, cows out that any moment those cows could just go, not today, and whip their neck around and grandma would go flying and they'd go wherever they want to go, <laughs> unleashed. You see, they learned from an early age when that rope went around the neck, it was time to get breakfast. And when the tug came, it's like, I could resist, but I'll go hungry. So I'm going to follow grandma. She's going to lead me. They learned from an early age that the rope around the neck was to lead them to a place of sustenance and supply. So you look at this, and it says, as many as are being led. We look at Proverbs 6, where it says, you know what? You take the word of God. You bind it around your heart. Just like grandma would put the rope around the, the neck of the cow. Bind them around your heart. Tie them around your neck so that what? The Holy Ghost has a rope to lead you with. you got to give the Holy Spirit some rope, folks. Give him a rope. Give him the scriptures so that he can take that scripture and say, now the word of God says, and he starts tugging you. And he tugs your heart. And that tug, that internal tug on the heart is him leading you. And it's not always easy. You have to become aware. You have to learn the inner tug of the Holy Spirit like an animal on a rope. But there's a second meaning of this word in this verb ago. And it's this word agonizo. We add something to it. It's a derivative of the verb ago. Now, this is a very interesting word. It's kind of a strong word. The verb agonizo means literally to agonize. Hmm, to agonize. It sets up this conflict that we have between the head and the heart. My head's thinking one thing, but my heart's feeling another thing. Or this tension between the flesh and the spirit. That sometimes when you're in that tension and you're in that opposition, you feel agony. You feel a struggle going on. <laughs> and there can be times, can I just tell you this? There can be times when God is trying to lead you by the Spirit, it can be agonizing. It's not all fun and games. It's not a cakewalk. It's not just easy street. When the Spirit is tugging on your heart to lead you, to tell you something, but it makes no sense to your mind, and you're in the battle. See, that makes no sense, but I just feel this, I keep getting this tug, but I'm trying to resist the tug because my mind doesn't comprehend. And we agonize. Maybe it's over something to do with your finances. I don't know, some of my most agonizing moments is when God's trying to tell me to give over and above what's comfortable. Over and above, you know, tithing, I got that down. After 37 years, I got tithing down. By the way, it's 10%. Any questions? It's the first tenth. The first tenth, not any tenth. It's the first tenth. <laughs> I used to give God, I used to be a reverse tither. I don't know why I'm in this. Somebody needs it. I used to be a reverse tither. You know what that was? I would pay all my bills, and if there was enough left over, I gave God his tenth. It was almost like a contest. Like, God, I'm going to pay my bills, and let's just see who wins. If there's money left, you get it. But if not, not my problem. I'm paying my bills first. And finally, I got the revelation that the tithe is the first tenth, not the last. I gave God the first tenth, and guess what? I always had enough to pay my bills. <laughs> God wants the first, right? First fruits. So sometimes we struggle. And then when God says, and now give a little admissions this week, and going, um, saving for a washer and dryer, Lord, don't you know that? It's kind of like, hey, <laughs> what's up with that? Recently, we just opened a new uh, worship center. Thankfully, we built it. Took us three or four years to go through the process. It was great. You guys will go through this soon. You're going to get a building. You're going to be in that. You're going to have to give. I'm just warning you now. <laughs> warning. 
You're going to have to give. We had to give. We had to sacrifice. We went into a three-year capital campaign. We all had to pray and ask God, what do we give over and above our regular tithes and offering to get this building built? Why? We want to reach more people, build more lives. And we were in four services on Sunday morning. Worship team go, oh, you can groan. All the worship team go, four? Yeah, four. Eight, 9.30, 11, 12.30. <laughs> but the fourth one, everybody was wiped out. But we did it. Why? We wanted to reach more people. So do you. You want to reach more people. And you just have to sacrifice. But in that, there's agony. It's like, oh, we got to give. <laughs> and then we opened our new worship center, and I travel a lot. I'm, not, I'm only at our church about 10 Sundays a year. So when I go, I want to be there, and I want to hang out, and I want to meet people. And it's so easy to get over with my, my cronies, guys I've known 15, 20 years, and hang out. Hey, what was your last trip? That ah, was great. And we're drinking coffee and talking about everything in common. And God challenged me recently that when I'm there, he says, I want to lead you to somebody new. That wasn't easy on my flesh. My flesh wanted to hang out with my friends. I wanted a little backslap. Hey, I was like, oh, it's great. Yeah, whatever. It's like, okay, God. So I just remember one Sunday, I just stood there, a cup of coffee, said, okay, lead me. And I just saw a guy standing all by himself, leaning against the wall, you know, in that safe position, guys. You know, you're like a little slight corner. You got your back covered, you're just, but you're scoping. You're kind of like, I am so uncomfortable. <laughs> This is my first, it's got, you might as well put a sign. First time here, very uncomfortable, would like to leave. So I just kind of, I just walked over and I said, hey, how you doing? Introduced myself. I'm Clem. I'm one of the governing elders here at Grace Church. And just, uh, what's your name? And we, we just connected and ended up making a coffee appointment two weeks later. We went out for coffee and just connected. It was just great. But it was uncomfortable. I can't say it was total agony, but it was kind of like out of my comfort zone. See, we have to, we have to almost say, God, teach me how you want to lead me. He just sang it. Were you just pretending, or did you really mean those words? Lead me to those around you. Who are the ones you want to lead me to? So this is our training. This is what God does. And I'm going to give you a final closing example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, following the Holy Spirit in a very difficult time in his life. And, of course, you would know it was when he was going into the Garden of Gethsemane. So we pick it up in Luke 22, and this will get you ready for Easter. It'll be here like that. Isn't it amazing? Nobody's thinking about Christmas. Valentine's is over. The next best thing is St. Patrick's Day, I guess. And then, boom, it's going to be Easter. So we're getting ready. Here's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're in Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Luke 22, 39. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And then he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father... If you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, some of the other synoptic gospels, Matthew and others, say that this happened three times. Matthew says three times he prayed this, three times. And when it says he removed himself about a stone's throw, it might be, you know, from this wall to that wall. It's not far from the disciples. And it says he knelt down and prayed. And we all get this vision of the paintings we see in the Christian bookstore online of Jesus in the garden and he's kneeling on this big rock, you know, it's a beautiful, clean rock. His robe is neatly pressed. There's no wrinkles. He's kneeling. His face is clean. It's shining, little olive oil. His beard is trimmed. His hair is beautiful. He's got a nice, serene, holy look on his face, praying in the garden. That ain't what happened. That's not what really happened. When it says he knelt down, it's actually the Greek verb is very strong there. It literally means he fell on his face and collapsed. Because Jesus going into the garden was the time when he knew what was about to happen. Why? He was being led by the Spirit. The Spirit was telling him, now go into the garden. He turns to his disciples, 
Can you not tarry when I, can you pray with me? Don't go into temptation. Jesus is feeling the temptation not only for himself, but for his own disciples. To the point he falls and collapses and cries out, Oh, Father, if there's any way out of this, wouldn't you? I would. If there's any way out of this, but nevertheless, not my will, your will. That, my folks, is agony sometimes when we have to yield our will to God's will. When it doesn't look good, when it's, there's pending discomfort coming like Jesus had. To the point it says in verse 43, there appeared to him an angel from heaven, what? Strengthening him. Why? He was pouring out energy. He was crying out to God three times to the point he was losing physical strength. And the father looked down and said, boys, you better go down and help him. He'll never make it to the cross. God was concerned. He was losing physical strength. He had to carry the cross. He had to go through crucifixion, to the flogging. I mean, God knew what was up to. God wasn't up there going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Panic. No, no panic in heaven. There was a divine plan for your salvation. And yet he needed strength. God sent angels down to strengthen him. And being in an agony, Matthew said, Jesus, our Savior, man, wrestling with the Holy Spirit, being in agony, it says in verse 44, watch, he prayed more earnestly. When you're agonizing over something in the Spirit, it will drive you to the depths of prayer. You will cry out and pray earnestly. And his sweat, watch, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground, agonizing in prayer. Puts his body into a condition the doctors call hematidrosis, where the body is in extreme mental pressure and the mind begins to send signals to the body and the skin begins to separate and blood flows up between the skin and starts coming out the sweat pores. He was sweating drops of blood. He was in agony. But he knew that the same spirit he taught his disciples about that evening Oh, you can trust him. He'll lead you in the truthful way. He will guide you. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you. The same Spirit is who's leading Jesus in this moment. And John gives one little extra little insight to what was happening here. In John chapter 18, verse 1, we get John's little twist on this, and you got to see this as we're getting ready to close. John 18, 1, when Jesus had spoken the words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden. He and the disciples entered in. Now, verse 2, Judas who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So now we enter Judas. That always makes the story interesting. Anytime there's a Judas in the story, it gets interesting. So Judas, watch verse 3, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Wow. Doesn't look like much on the surface, but if you look at this, what's really happening here, it says Judas procured a band of soldiers. Not keyboard, drums, and a vocalist, okay? Not that kind of band. Spira is the Greek word there. It was also the Latin word for cohort. A cohort of Roman soldiers was between anywhere between three and 600 soldiers. Minimum 300, usually around 500. So suddenly in the garden, there's these foot-stomping Roman soldiers coming. 
500 soldiers with Judas and then all these other uh, officers of the chief priests and officers of the Pharisees. There could have been six or 700 men coming into the garden to take one guy. Then Jesus, verse 4, knowing all that would happen to him. Now, how did he know? How did he know all that would happen to him? He had the Holy Spirit. He had the Spirit of truth. He said, he will lead you and guide you. He knows the future. He will show you things to come. Jesus knew what was going to happen. You ready for a little comic relief? This, this is a heavy story. You ready for a little comic relief? I think this is comical. I like the way God twists things in there. It's kind of light. Let's lighten this story up for just a second, okay? Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, he came forward and said to them, almost like a joke, like, hey, I'm from, I live in North Carolina. Maybe he said, hey, y'all. Who y'all looking for? You know? Hey, who are you guys looking for? Like he didn't know. He knew they were after him, but he's just kind of, all of a sudden it's like the son of God, the creator of the universe and all mankind stands before some of his little creation and says, hi guys, who are you looking for? Whom do you seek? And they answered, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus kind of steps forward. And I think this moment, this is how I see it in my mind. Jesus stood before 700 shocked soldiers of the Roman army that were coming to arrest him. And he looked at him. And I think for a moment he looked up to heaven and said, can I, can I just tell him? And something like the father goes, go ahead. Tell him who you really are. For a moment, Jesus stood there as Jesus of Nazareth and began to reveal who he really was. Because when he answered, they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. He bellowed out the words, I am! Ego emi. In the Aramaic language, he said, I am! And all 700 soldiers fell backwards and fell on their backs looking up at the sky because God revealed who he really was. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand. Did we not sing that? Why? Because of the power in his name. All he did was speak his name. I am. And it thrust them all back in power. Nothing can stand against when God reveals his name. Wow. I am he. And they drew back and they all fell to the ground. All 700. Was the Holy Spirit there? You better believe he was. He did bowling with Romans that day. Whoosh. You can almost see the father go, okay, okay, that's enough, guys. There are these soldiers falling. Mayhem is crazy. And you can see the disciples sitting there going, yes, finally. We've been wanting you to do this all the last three years. <laughs> Take out some Romans. Let's show who's Caesar, who's boss here. So Peter, being Peter, he's getting all excited now. And Peter sees some swords laying around, and then he sees Malchus. Malchus was like the press secretary for the chief priests. He always gave bad reports on Jesus and the disciples. He was always ripping on them. He just had nothing good to say. He was public enemy to the disciples. And Peter sees Malchus laying there, and Peter sees a sword. Peter picks up a sword. He goes over to Malchus. He's a fisherman, not a swordsman. And so he flails or fillets. <laughs> and he just goes like that. I don't think he was trying to take his ear off. Nobody's that good. <laughs> when you're not a swordsman, 
but he went and flailed and tried to take his head off and kill him, and he kind of missed and flailed and took his ear off, and his ear fell to the ground. Wow, Pete, nice going. Peter, what led you to do that? Gee, Pete, what came over you? Well, the Spirit of God just, no, Pete, no, 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 no. No, you were following your heart, Pete. Be honest. Jesus was following the Holy Spirit. You were following your heart. Because Jesus said, where do murderers and envyings come from? Do they not come from within the heart? That's why the heart is deceitful, Jeremiah said. It's desperately wicked. You can't trust your heart, especially in a heated moment of emotion like this. Peter followed his heart and said, I'm just going to kill the guy. Because <laughs> he saw this display of power. See, we sometimes get mixed up when the power of the Holy Spirit comes. We want to get in on the game sometimes, and our emotions lead us in a direction that's not the Holy Spirit. And Pete just took up the sword and tried to kill the guy. And Jesus had to step in and say, enough, enough of this. And Jesus reaches down, heals the guy's ear. I don't know if he glued it back on with heavenly glue or created a new one, but he healed him. And thank God there was nobody with YouTube video taken. I saw that. I saw the ear come off. You're guilty. Because when you get all done, they're going, he tried to attack. goes, what? He took, we saw him take the ear off. We thought we saw him take the ear off. What? He's got both ears. What's the problem here, folks? See, Jesus had to intervene. You know why? Peter would have been executed. Peter committed a felony crime. He assaulted a public official, and he probably stole a Roman sword to do it, both punishable by death. So Pete was in a lot of hot water because he was following his heart. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit will come and rescue you when you follow your heart? Jesus had to step in and rescue him. He will rescue us, but there's always a lesson. Jesus stood and he says, enough of this. Pete, what? You're up to preach in about 40 days, dude. You can't do this kind of stuff. Get it together. You got the first sermon of the church, Pete. What are you, what's wrong with you? I don't know if he said that, but I was like, going, Peter, what are you doing? That's why he said, enough, Pete, enough. Tested by his own teachings. <laughs> Peter tested. She's Pete, the Holy Spirit's coming in just a few days. He's going to fill you, and you're going to have to follow him because I'm leaving. Matthew said in Matthew 26, that Jesus said, I could call down, not cohorts of angels, legions. If I wanted to, if I wanted to rescue myself out of the situation, if I wanted to reduce the agony, I could just call down legions, 12 legions. A legion is not 500, it's 5,000. Can you imagine 60,000 angels coming down? When Isaiah said one angel killed 160,000 soldiers, one angel? I mean, he could have put on, put on a display of power like none other. But it wasn't power games. It was the game of obedience. It's a game you and I are all familiar with. What it means to obey the Holy Spirit. To obey that tugging. To follow the nudging and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Where the flesh and the spirit oppose each other. We have to wrap the commandments of God and the word of God around our neck and around our heart so he can tug on that rope and lead us in the truthful ways even when it seems agonizing at the moment to us. Because no one took Jesus that night. They say, oh, they took him. Well, they didn't. It actually says later on, it says, and they led him to the house of Caiaphas. Fulfilling a scripture, a prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. 
It says, like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. Same word. To be led. But he wasn't being led by those soldiers. Jesus was not led by the soldiers to the slaughter. He was led by the Holy Spirit, his Father. Who had the real power that night in the garden? Not those men. Not Rome, not Caesar. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. We sang about it, but did we really grasp it when we said, what a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against the name of Jesus. You ever had God tell you to do something and you immediately had agony over it? It's kind of like, I know this is God, but man, this is so hard. I'll close with a story I experienced a few years ago. I was ministering in a church in South Carolina, one part of our network, and a quick story was the pastor was uh, an ordained Presbyterian minister. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit and wrecked his calling in ministry <laughs> for the glory of God. <laughs> it, we're gonna, and so they had to part company. So he parted company, and he was going to plant in another city, and here's where the prophetic came in. Prophetic words came and said, no, plant where you are. And he agonized over that because he's like, I can't plant in the same city. I've got a reputation now. I'm, I'm labeled. He's like, ah. But he just knew God was calling him, had confirmation. So he replanted the church, started a brand new church, started bringing, people started coming. It's, it's doing great. It's only about four or five years old, and it's already up a couple of hundred people. They just got a building. I mean, it's, it's a great story. But in that, uh, some of us that were giving oversight were saying, brother, you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. You had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and that's what caused you to do what you're doing. Your people need the same experience. It's like, don't, you just can't be all by yourself in this. He knew it. He said, oh, guys, come and help me. So I went in and did a Holy Spirit weekend. And it was powerful. It was great. I mean, it was like little kids going, really? It was just so much fun introducing them to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All week long, this was just teach, teach, teach. And it was just going and flowing, and it was great, and people were excited and on fire. And it came to Sunday morning, and I preached a message on Sunday morning about the Holy Spirit. And inside, I'm going, you know, God, I'm a prophet. I should just probably prophesy over one person just to kind of, kind of stir the water up, kind of show them demonstrate the prophetic, you know, get them all hungry. And that was Clem's great plan. It was in my heart. I just was like thinking about it because I do it a lot. So it wasn't like an unnatural thing. So I'm finishing my sermon. And I'm thinking, and someone that caught my eye was the young man leading worship. He was about 37 years old, I think. And uh, he had been, he had a great testimony, saved out of drugs and rock and roll. And now he's a worship leader and doing that. And he was just, he just caught my eye. He's one of those guys that we used to say is very prophogenic. It's like photogenic. You want to take their picture? I wanted to prophesy over him. He's just like, I could prophesy over this guy. So I'm finishing the sermon. He's all the way in the back, and he's leaning against the back wall, and I'm kind of looking up at him, and I'm finishing my sermon, and I'm just kind of getting ready to close and switch, and I'm thinking I'm going to call him up and prophesy. I'm getting ready to do that, and I stood there, and I heard these words so loud and clear. Not now. for a minute and I agonized. I was like, I wrestled like, should I? Shouldn't I? This is what I do. I, I have this quick in your brain and then I heard again, not now. When God speaks twice and you hear it twice and you can't deny it, it's like, he's serious. Right, parents? I said. <laughs> so I just, I went, okay, this is God. I don't understand anything about this. To me, it's like the perfect opportunity to prophesy over someone, but God didn't even explain I mean, when God sometimes just tells you something and he doesn't explain, he said, not now. And I just went, evidently, not now. So I just closed, handed the mic back to the pastor. He closed the service. We went out and had lunch. We talked. I never shared it with the pastor because I was still agonizing over it. I'm like, what was that? 
Drove home, about four-hour drive home, get home that evening, and life went on. I kind of just like, whatever, and God would never talk to me about it. He never said a word. I said, well, what was that? Okay. Thursday morning, my phone rings. It's the pastor of the church. He says, Clem, what? He says, you need to pray for us. Okay, brother, what's up? He goes, um, got some sad news to share. Last night at our Wednesday night Bible study, this young man, the worship leader, his name was Troy. He says, Troy was driving home on his motorcycle and got hit by a semi-truck. He's dead. Are you kidding me? I am so sorry, man. And we prayed, and I was like, oh, sorry to hear that, man. And, you know, your, your, your world gets spun out of control at that moment. You're like, no. You're so young. You know, your mind. And I got done. We prayed, you know, stay in touch, and got done. I stopped for a minute, and I was like, the Lord just came in visitation. He said, do you see now? I understood why God said, don't prophesy over him now. He has an appointment Wednesday night. He's coming home. You know, God knows when we're coming home. Nobody shows up in heaven by surprise. If he's this God we sang about, he's almighty over all things. He knows. He knows the future. God knows the day of your departure and your arrival, okay? we got to get over this as Christians. We don't fear. We, we talked about perfect love cast out fear. we got a loving God, and when we go home, how, when, and where, that's not our call. That's his call. And he knew. He knew Sunday morning that that young man was going to be with him in heaven forever. I can't wait. I don't know about you. That's not a bad deal. It hurts us. We pain. We groan. We, we have to get through grief. Yes, we go through that. We're humans. But we also are led by the Spirit through thick and thin through difficulty and ease. And there I was. I could have ruined the church. See, the consequence of me not saying, nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. The consequence of me saying, well, heck, I've got a gift. I'm just going to prophesy over this guy. It can't hurt. Oh, could have wrecked the church. Because here's a young church growing in charismatic understanding. You can trust the Holy Spirit. You can trust the voice of God. And then I come up and just prophesy something. I don't know what I would have said. Something like, God loves you and got a great future for you. That would have been an accurate prophecy. Yeah, that's a, how many know heaven's a great future? If not, you're in the wrong place or we're going to get you right this morning. Heaven is the greatest future, okay? Being born again and going to heaven when you die, that's what we're here for. We live for that. But in the interim, we've got to get through earthly life. And here's this moment where I could have wrecked the whole church's theology on you can trust the Holy Spirit. Well, what about, and would I have had an explanation? Not a good one. Well, God told me not to, but I did anyway. Ooh, that's not a good thing to confess. Not my will. Your will be done. I want you to stand with me. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to turn it back over to Casey in a minute. But I want to pray for you because I know, I don't even have to be a prophet to know. There's some of you in the room today, you're wrestling with a decision. You're agonizing over something. It's something between you and God because we're human. Because the flesh opposes the spirit. The spirit opposes the flesh. We're all in that. But he says, but if you're led by the spirit, you won't be under the law to perform and to do this without the aid of the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit to come fresh. But not only the Holy Spirit to come fresh and aid us, help us. Jesus said, I'll send the helper. But I want to encourage you. It's still early in the year. I don't know if you're reading through your Bible. through the, You know, this is like a February checkup. How you doing? It's the end of February. You're still reading your Bible, you know. We kind of push, read your Bible through the year. And nobody talks about it in July. But you know what? You need the word of God because that's the rope. 
to bind around your heart and tie around your neck so when the Holy Spirit wants to lead you, he got something to tug. So he can tug on you and lead you in the truthful ways. Lead you in an unobstructed way. Lead you into the will of the Father and not your own. And this morning, my prayer for you, my prayer, is we just look to God today and say, Father, in this day, this Sunday, not the years or months ahead, but this day, oh God, and this week, not my will. Your will be done. By the power of the Holy Spirit that you gave to me is heaven's precious gift. We receive it, we believe it, we want to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca.